Welcome, welcome everybody to a, another workshop in the kiln. Today, Halloween for those celebrating. Um, looking forward to some trick-or-treating tonight with my girls. Uh, hopefully everyone's up to par, snuff, ready to go. And then we'll see how it goes. We're going as a construction crew, if anyone's curious. High visibility vests, construction hats. Simplicity is the key for uh, trick or treating, in my opinion. Uh, let the kids, let the kids go extravagant. Parents, simplicity. Anyways, but that is neither here nor there. When it comes to the workshop today, we are talking about challenge tuning, specifically damage. And I wanted to talk about this because we just finished up our study of the oath, finishing up on "I will be a terror to behold." which is part of the, you know, when we talked about it, it was about challenging players. It's often what we refer to when it comes to challenging as part of the oath, but the actual application and practicality or the principles of challenging, I find very helpful when we talk about challenge tuning. So we're gonna be talking about damage. But before we do, I just, again, wanna address challenge tuning in general, what it is, and then why we start with damage. So. As we go along, if you have any questions or comments about this, I'm also gonna be going over this thinky sheet, which is kind of guiding my thoughts, because as I go through some more workshops, as we enter into kind of the next phase of workshops, I wanna be a little bit more organized in uh, that thinky thesis approach, uh, less rambling. I'm sure I'll still ramble, but I wanna have, like, try to be a little bit more practical and less esoteric with my thoughts. So that's where the thinky sheet's gonna come in. But challenge tuning. Challenge tuning is presented in ICRPG, the GM guide. And it's the idea of having these three Ds, these three principles of damage, uh, disruption, and duration, which are the key levers that we can pull on to increase or decrease challenges for our players. Uh, when we look at our players and their things are going too easy, you can increase some of the, you know, one of the three Ds uh, in some way to challenge them. You can increase multiple, you can decrease them to, to adjust because the whole point of challenge tuning is that as we prep our encounters and our sessions, often we imagine that our encounters are gonna go a certain way or we would like them to go a certain way, but then we get to the table and the dice are cold, the players are, are on fire or for whatever reason, things are not quite working out the way that we expected. So on the fly, we can challenge tune by adjusting these different principles. And as we prep, we can keep these things in mind on how we would like to challenge our players and kind of give us a baseline. But in the, in the book, it kind of talks about using dice, obviously, as, as the way of adjusting that so that damage can be effective, you know, adjusting it. So all of a sudden in the example, it's this ogre is fighting the players or the outsiders, you know, is fighting these players and they're not being as effective. So all of a sudden they slam their sword against the stone and it breaks into um, a jagged and far nastier weapon. So now instead of rolling 1d6, you roll 2d6 and it increases the challenge for the players. That's kind of the examples uh, there. but. As I was thinking about it, and this is going to dive us into the thinky sheet here, so let me zoom in 
for everybody watching. Oh boy, that was really far. Uh, I was trying to think of what damage is and my thoughts around it. And in a nutshell, if you look at damage, it's essentially a combination of a number of dice times the effort type, and that gives you damage, at least when it applies to ICRPG. There may be outliers, this is whatever, but in a nutshell, the number of dice times the effort equals damage. So when we're thinking about damage when it comes to making a decision in our prep, how much damage should X do? The only things that we really have to decide on is how many dice do we roll and the effort type, which determines which dice, thanks to ICRPG's really streamlined effort system. That's that's really all we're, we're thinking about. But, but it's not always just pick a number of dice and a effort type because that can either lead to outrageously unbalanced or un you know uh, unreasonable combinations. Like I'm going to roll five d eight. Okay. Yes, I could choose five d eight, but that is crazy. You know, like that. What are, you, what are you thinking? Like, what's your reasoning behind choosing 5d8 to roll against your players? Or you're playing against uh, you're a whole party of super powered, you know, characters, and you say, I'm going to roll 1d4. Okay. Thankfully, with ICRPG's one heart, that's still a, you know, reasonable or, or potentially, you know, challenging amount of damage. But at the same time, if these characters have immense amount of healing prowess their defense is high they're you know they're loaded up with loot 1d4 may not be challenging enough when it comes to damage it will just be like piddly bits so i was thinking about it and there's more to the decision which is specifically there's elements that if you want to have a more concise or a more uh justified decision on what you choose to damage there's elements that you could consider that would then allow you to make a more informed decision because as we go through these the thesis of what i'm trying to get at is that as we increase one there should be a decrease in in another provide a more reasonable or more balanced kind of or more justifiable approach to damage and an example of this that I had was that, like, if I'm planning out a goblin swarm, well, if I increase the number of enemies and increase the total number of actions that the the swarm is has, then perhaps I should decrease the swing or bonus that they have, and I'll get to each one of these in a second, as well as kind of the immunities. That way, I can justify the increase in certain areas, pulling on those levers, while decreasing or turning off other levers and I can get a, a more reasonable and justified approach to damage rather than just oh my players are are they're just blowing blowing me out of the water like they're just blowing past all the monsters that I have so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna increase the number of dice and I'm gonna move it up to a d12 haha <laughs> suckers like no that's I have learned from experience that that is not the way to really become efficient or 
really uh, efficient and mastering the the art of damage. It 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 seems like it would make make sense, but it it doesn't a lot of the times. And so these different considerations or different elements of damage, I feel like, can give us a more uh, efficient and reliable approach to damage. So let's go through each one. The first one is, as we're considering it, the idea of is it environment or is it enemy? Okay. And none of these are explicitly like game breaking. It's just something to think about overall because you want to think about, hey, that's the decision or that's kind of the way I'm going on it. What does that mean? So a lot of the times, if it's environment, let me just use that. Sorry about that. It just shut down on me. Okay, let me let me pull that back up, and then we'll keep going. But essentially, if it's environment, then it's a source of damage that doesn't have hearts. Like it's it's not necessarily like killable. Okay, so for environment, no. Okay, seeing that. Uh, let me share my screen again. There we go. Go live. Sorry about that. So environment. There's no hearts. And it's often so it's so it means it's unkillable. So if it's a source of damage, there's it can't be it's not as easily removed versus an enemy which has which does have hearts and it's often temporary because you a player you know could kill your your enemy your the monster or, or whatever so if you choose to do something environmental you have to understand that this source of damage may or may not be easily addressed and therefore, a, a standard tactic of removing the threat may not be an option for players. Unlike having an enemy where, hey, this goblin swarm is hurting us, we're going to kill it. And then once they're dead, it won't be hurting us anymore. That's a very like straightforward approach that players could take. And so if they have a very clear path to removing the, the thing that's damaging them, then you can increase, you, you can make it so they're higher damage because you know you can increase the damage a little bit because you know that it's going to potentially go away versus an environmental damage source it may not go away so therefore do we need to lower how much dice how much dice we have what the damage type is whatever um, so that's kind of consideration for environmental or enemy the next one is okay when it comes to damage is it auto damage is it a save or is it a check? Because each one has a different uh, kind of application for it. Auto is just, you know, it's like there's nothing players, you know, players can't do. It's just, it just happens, right? Like we, we, you know, it just happens. So what the players have no control over what damage they take. Um, you know, burning, burning from a supernova or the, uh, you know fire that they're in the middle of a, a blazing fire or they're underwater or, or whatever it just happens versus a check which is 
reliant on on like the enemies making the check. So a lot of the times it's based off of you know monster bonus, monster roll, what the, what they're rolling, or what the players roll, which then makes. Um, sorry, I'm just writing this out. So if you do, if it's like a check. It means I as a monster or I as, you know, the GM, I'm making a roll and I have to take into account what my, my, the pieces that I have, what their bonuses are, what dice they're rolling in order to beat the player's defense or the player's bonuses or, or whatever I'm rolling against, which is often defense. So I have to consider, okay, is my defense reliant on me beating a player's defense of 18? Well that is a very high bar and unless I have a high bonus it may not happen as often so do I just keep rolling d4s or do I increase it to d10s because it may not happen or often but if it's a player roll you look at their stats and go okay they're gonna be rolling constitution saves but only one of them has plus two in constitution so the likelihood is that these players are gonna be taking these damage more frequently alright I've increased the possibility that damage is going to happen, so where can I decrease possibility of damage or decrease the challenge in another way? Frequency is simply how often is damage being applied. Is it every turn? Um, is it every round? Is it every time a monster attacks? Like, how often is the possibility of damage happening? And if it's happening a lot, well, you don't roll a d12 every turn or in between every turn that a player takes. Uh, I think about my Shadow Blight uh, monster, and he was had huge bonuses, he was attacking every between every turn, and so the possibility of damage was crazy high versus somebody who, like a Goblin Swarm, who's only rolling on the GM's turn, so that's one turn out of, say, f every four, because there's three players or whatever, and so, how, how, what are my possibility or how frequently can damage be applied? The next one is theme, is what makes sense thematically. Big thing with this consideration is simply that the way that our brains want to interpret the scene is more important than necessarily the mechanics of it. In the sense, it's not that it's not important, it's that the emotional or kind of things the mechanics should serve the overarching theme of what's happening, and it should make sense. Uh, a goblin wielding a dagger probably shouldn't be rolling ultimate or magic, because it's thematically it doesn't make sense. Basic or weapon makes more sense. So sticking with the theme. So what makes, makes sense? And the last one is the the target, and this kind of is a dual principle, um, but I'm gonna like stick with the because uh, you can either think about it the target of what the damage is targeting. So, am I targeting health? Am I targeting stats? So, is it HP? Is it stats? Is it loot? Right? Or do you want to think about okay, what's the target of the what's the target the room target? 
because it's like I've increased the target of the room to 18 and these monsters are going to be dealing d10 and there's no real chance for the players to make there's not a high chance for players to make successful rolls and the damage is really high oh that's that can be uh if i'm going to increase that maybe i shouldn't be rolling ultimates maybe i should be rolling d4s or whatever because they can't make the saves they can't do whatever but if we're going with the hp stats and loot you have to consider okay what am i targeting if it's if the frequency of the damage is super high and I'm targeting loot, well, over the course of a couple rounds, how many pieces of loot am I going to destroy? Do I want it to be that frequent? Do I want it to be that often? Does it really make sense? That's the kind of considerations. So we've got a couple of, there's you know half of the, free, the considerations. On the other side, uh, you have things like number of enemies. Okay, you have just like the the total number. Right? Is this gonna be you know a, a multiplier? So it's like, oh, I have ten enemies on the field. I'm gonna make one roll, uh, one roll, and it's gonna be one d four times you know per each enemy, and I'm gonna roll once. Okay, now you're dealing six d four because there's six zombies. Or do each one, does each one get their own roll? Number of roll, it's tight, which ties into the number of actions. Like, am I combining everything into a single action or am I combining this into multiple actions? Um, because if I have multiple rolls, there's a, poss there's a higher possibility that I can roll. There, there's more, it gives me more chances. It's not as dependent on on one roll and so the at total average you know can can i'm watching i'm looking at you chris i can't say the words in math terms like you can but the overall average the more rolls you add it's going to average out to be higher than just one big roll because the swing is going to be different um right as well as you're going to compare that to you know the player actions like if i have 10 if i have 10 goblins on the field well i get 10 rolls at something whereas i only have four players they get four rolls at something so we're, we're struggling there okay the swing and bonuses uh this is kind of where i address or i think about the general idea of the different um different effort types because the swing is like in a one one to uh on basic yeah, law of average. See, I, thank you. Um, so for basic, the swing is one to four versus ultimate, which is one to 12, okay? So in my head, in the past, I would go, okay, I need to challenge my players. So I'm going to roll ultimate because that has a higher pot, that's a higher possibility of damage. Therefore, I'm gonna challenge them because that, that I'm only going to get one hit in, right? I know my players. I know what their stats are. I know what their their general experience is. Is they they walk they walk like wipe the floor with these monsters. So I'm going to increase it to ultimate, and then if I do hit, I'm going to hit hard. I'm going to hit. You know, I mean, I could I could roll up to twelve. Like that could drop a player. If I get a shot, you know, like that's the one shot I get. Like okay, I'll I'll hit it. But problem is, is the swing. I don't know about you, but ultimate dice, 
when you need a 12, they don't guarantee you get a 12. You could roll a one and you just missed out on that. Versus basic, where it's like, I know if I roll that dice, it's gonna be somewhere between one and four. And there's a better chance that I could roll somewhere along those lines versus a 12, where it's like, ah, I got, it's harder to get those, those higher numbers. And so you have the swing, so you have to understand what the swing is, but you also then can mitigate the swing with bonuses. So if I have an ultimate plus eight, which is insane, well, now I know that the real swing of what I'm doing is only eight to 12. So I can guarantee that I'm gonna roll eight, or I'm, I guarantee it's not even eight to 12, it's, it's nine to 12, because the lowest I can roll is a one, and so the real swing of what's happening is a nine to 12 on this monster, and now it's I've guaranteed a nine, and I can possibly get a 12 or more. So, man, I'm really bad at math because I guess if I do roll, if I do roll a one, it's a nine. If I roll a 12, it's a 20. There's my there's my swing, and that's what that's what I'm playing with. And against players, that could be you know what I need to do, but it also could be unjustifiable. It could be unreasonable. So being aware of what the swing is and then understanding what bonuses you're using to mitigate that swing can make a difference. Last two are range. So just like near, you know, far, near, close is essentially that. But what that does is um, possible targets or the number of possible targets supposed to be a target anyways uh, so if you increase the number the range well if it's close there's really only possibility of applying damage to a single target a single you know opponent so an enemy a goblin comes up and goes <clears throat> stabs one player versus a goblin mystic who has far and just I'm gonna blast everybody you could hit the whole party with the same amount of same damage so that can be that can be detrimental or it can you know increase the challenge that way and then finally we've got immunities um, so similar to the environment or enemy thing this is possibility for negating you can negate player options through immunities and so their plan to remove the threat could be negated and now they have to do something else which makes the source of damage more likely to stick around but it makes it more difficult to address where this damage is coming from. Um, so it can negate action or response. So I know that that's a bit of a mess and hopefully I'll have a chance to clean up, but in a nutshell, if we go back to the thesis, the idea is that when you're deciding what your equation for damage should be, 2d6, 1d6, 4d4, or 3d8 whatever it's going to be whatever makes sense consider the following things between environmental versus enemy all the way down to immunities keep those things in mind and as you increase one of them think about another way another one that you could decrease all right so let's um 
if you guys have any questions on any of that or, or if you want to comment on those, I want to go through a couple uh, examples um, to just kind of give some context or ideas about how to make this kind of how this how this works in my head. So I'm going to pull up I'm going to pull up Master Edition. I'm going to pull in some monster art just so we can look at this and we can walk through how we might address uh, the scene a little bit more with some monsters. But if you have any questions, please drop them in or if you have any thoughts or comments, I'd love to hear them while I am rummaging around in my file folders. Do -do -do. Da -da -da. And I'm just looking for monster cards. Monster cards, monster cards. Okay, let's start with oh yeah let's go with this guy blind horror doesn't get enough love so let's let's talk about the the blind horror so flipping over to monsters in master edition blind horror is on page Uh, he's on page one, two, three. Okay, so looking at uh, my monster guy, he has two hearts. Oh boy, two hearts, and he has plus five to dex. And let's see, he's got spike tail, which is a weapon, rolls with dex to attack, ignores armor. So we've got spike tail. Tail. Okay, you know what? I'm just going to, instead of writing this all out, let me actually pull up Master Edition, like I was going to say, and then go to Blind Horror and just pull him in for realsies. Okay. Whoop. I'm going to keep you down here. We're in a ton. Okay, so here we go. More reasonable, I can do this. So yeah, we've got the plus five to the deck, plus five to the decks, two hearts, spike tail, he rolls with decks to attack. He ignores armor, rolls on target rather than defense. The fire a magic range attack that sears a target within far range. Those hit also take 1d4 burn damage next turn. Whiz, he spell, he heals and gathers power. He can double any effort done on its next turn. Okay, so let's look at what considerations he has and if how we would how we might want to challenge tune this. Okay, so the first one is its weapon rolls with dex. So now what he's doing is we've inc we've increased. With this spiked weapon, we've increased the uh, the, ch the damage due to making this a check for for him, right? By making it so that he's rolling defense, he's rolling dex at a plus five, but he's rolling against the target 
So now I can essentially ignore what my player's defense score is because I've increased the challenge rating by making his check against the target rather than their defense. Uh, his magic, we've increased it by giving it range. terrible so you make that range up to far it's only a, a single target which is good but we've also added in a d4 burn damage so that's also an increase in frequency um, because now he's taking damage from the hit but he's also increased it by saying you're going to take 1d4 and it's technically kind of an auto damage as well so we've upped the challenge there um, He's got some immunities because he's got some immunities thanks to this whiz spell, which uh, lets him heal, as well as we're you know doubling effort uh, done on his next turn. And so now what we've done here is we've increased the bonus that's happening, where it's, you're you're doing a, a higher higher thing from. 2d 2d6 uh, or 2d8 and 2d10 to whatever it's you know it's happening and okay? uh, so like this blind horror just by having this monster out i've increased the damage challenge quite a bit using his various actions so this can be quite a challenging monster so to balance it out i've increased these things so some ways that I should be decreasing the challenge is perhaps what I should be doing is decreasing the number of, you know, number of enemies. Maybe I should be decreasing the number of actions and that can be, that can come from number of enemies or he's only got one action. So I'm making sure that his action economy is nice and low. Perhaps, you know, what I can do is maybe make sure that there's lower environmental damage out there so that this is that this is the focus, not the environment. Right. And so now I've gotten, you know, up, I've increased check, I've increased range of frequency. We've got a little bit of immunity, got a little bit of bonuses. And so I can look at how those are happening and just by making sure that I'm, as I raise the one side, the checks, the range, the frequency, I'm decreasing other areas. This can make it so that the focus becomes the challenge of the blind horror and that I'm balancing it and tuning it to my players rather than, you know, going unreasonable. Because could you imagine if I had all of this? But then I also, instead of decreasing these things, increased enemies and number of actions and the environmental possibility of damage, like that would be an insane situation. And as we know with ICRPG it's, and the Runehammer community at, at large, like the idea of balancing is not necessarily the goal. Um, it's tuning, we're tuning this. And so even though the thesis is an increase in one should decrease in other, that doesn't mean it has to be perfectly balanced, but these considerations are playing into it so that my justification or my 
my efficiency with how I'm using the blind horror to challenge my players through possibility of damage is more efficient, more justifiable, more reasonable, more understandable, and overall it can make more sense to players why this is the case and why the decisions I've made them um, the way, and it gives me more levers to pull on to tune. So there, without even really changing the monster, I didn't nerf the monster. I didn't take away his bonuses. I didn't take away his stats. I didn't take away his abilities. I didn't have to nerf him. What I had to do was I had to take his effects or how he affected the situation and tune other elements to allow him to shine without going overboard as a, as a GM. That's what I really like about these the idea of tuning and making sure that we're we have we're following these considerations is because my my go-to option to making sure the blind horror isn't unreasonable doesn't have to be nerf we don't want to nerf at least i don't it gives me more things that i can pull on to make sure that i'm able to use the blind horror with confidence the way that i'm excited to play him because you know that's how he's in the book or any of my homebrew monsters or whatever so Let's, let's do another one, um, just for kicks and giggles. Uh, again, you guys have any uh, thoughts on this? I'd love to hear them. Uh, but then let's pull up, where's Masters? You should go, there you are. Anyone have a suggestion for a monster or a quest from the monster guide? Uh, I will pull in uh, something otherwise. So be thinking. I'm probably I'll do I'll do this next one and I'll do one more. So be thinking of another monster that you maybe want to like analyze a little bit and we can we can work through it. So let's go with let's go with something straightforward. Let's go with a skeleton. This challenge tuning doesn't always have to be with the big bad monsters. We can we can challenge tune and understand what's happening with, with just kind of our Mookie monsters too. Okay, so what we have here is our skeleton. He's only got one heart, he's got one plus to all his rolls. He's got stab, weapon on any critical fail, that weapon breaks and they must resort to basic attack. And that's applicable to the skeleton. Death touch, skeleton grass bare skin, burning it with cold, magic damage. Slow as death can never move far in an action. So he doesn't have a lot of uh, he doesn't have a lot of levers that are pulled in his favor. I think the biggest one is often what we have is we have the number of enemies. So we've usually when we're having skeletons is we up the number of enemies. Number numbers um, of enemies to play with, uh, which then often increases. The, uh, the frequency that we can deal damage, right? But that's that's really about about it. Um, so, if we want to increase the challenge of these skeletons, some other ways that we could potentially add to them is we can look at the um, we can potentially drop in an increase in the environment 
we can add we can add in some kind of environmental damage source or something that's going to boost the skeletons in some way so we up the challenge in um, environment and perhaps we grant them maybe we grant them some kind of thematic bonus these are skeletons so they reform for example okay so we we re they can reform they can after they die they kind of rebuild back up and we go from there or we you know or we can say they get the swing or the bo higher bonus as more more kind of groups to get more uh, people grouped together so instead of plus one to all their roles we get plus one per skeleton and that's a way that we can increase their their challenge rating is now if there's a group of 10 it's a plus 10 to all their roles and it's one single role so we've reduced the total number of actions we can reduce the the frequency because it's one role but we've increased the bonus now as we do those we could also we would need to think about okay what do we need to decrease okay well maybe we do decrease the number of enemies if we're going to make them stronger we decrease how many there are or maybe we decrease their you know maybe we, we we decrease their checks versus saves so maybe we give give players a you know the possibility of a save and so that we can rely on players high stat bonuses or, or their loot um, we can decrease their heart count so now it's decrease enemy you know heart so now instead of a, a heart of damage we turn it into one HP and so on and so on so now we look at it and we say okay we could increase these skeletons to make them more difficult or if the skeletons are too difficult or if we do increase them in some other ways we decrease these things and now we can have those levers play with Does that makes sense straight like the idea is, is that i love the concept of pulling levers and i just imagine that us as game masters um are sitting there behind our our curtain of the Wizard of Oz whatever and we're pulling on different levers to get different effects and we get more familiar with pulling all sorts of different things and it gives us more variety it gives us more justification makes it a little more reasonable so let's do one more to wrap up but do you guys have any suggestions like I was saying do you guys have an idea of a monster that you'd like to see let me know and that I will just pick another one Something that doesn't get enough love. Alright. I'm thinking... Okay, let's do this one. I've only... I've... Guy. The Hellion. This guy is crazy. I played... We played against the Hellion in a in a supers game for uh, Vigilante City and we still had a tough time playing against this guy it was insane okay so look at our Hellion he's got lots of hearts 
He's got lots of hearts. He's got lots of bonuses. He's got lots of bonuses. He's got lots of actions. So we can, you know, he's enemy with lots of hearts. Plus heart, you know, there he's got big bonuses. He's got big actions. So lots of actions to play with. Um, he's Volcanic Roar. Uh, column is definitely Ultimate Ray, Ultimate Damage, and gra Grappling up to three victims. Um, so he can his range is high. Swing is high. Ultimate Near Death Spell Eater absorbs one spell from a target. Okay, he's we've increased the challenge because he's we've given him more targets play with than just HP. He's damaging spells. Searing Stare saves it reduces single target to zero HP. No roll. So he's got an auto. And it's tied also with the save. So someone needs to make a save. And he's got an immunity. Okay. This guy is stacked. Which is on purpose. I mean, it's a Hellion. Like, this is a dragon of... When a dragon is truly evil and loses, like, this is a... This is a demon of the highest level type type experience, whatever. So it makes sense to have his... his All of his bonuses go up. It's, it's a serious business. But, like I said before, I don't want my gut reaction to, is to nerf this guy. This is a Hellion for a reason. So rather than nerfing or using that as you know as an excuse to adjust all these things, pull on other lever levers to decrease what's happening. Okay, so the different lever levers that we could pull on, see for example, is we got to decrease, you know, decrease the number of enemies. Okay? We we decrease the the number of enemies that he's. Um, that we're dealing with. Sure, we want to probably have a few mooks in there or, or some ways that we can do this, um, but we can work, uh, work with that one. Um, we can give players maybe some more saves or ways to mitigate. So perhaps we can reduce the challenge um, by giving them some saves if they're over in an area or if they're behind cover or whatever. They can get a little bit more opportunity to reduce um, those things. Um, we can perhaps play with range a little bit more. We can make it so that maybe there's uh, there it's further away, um, so that it's only targeting one or another. Um, it's not like a big area of effect. It's a very targeted thing. Um, we can perhaps play thematically. We can decrease the theme and make sure that the theme is granting opportunities for players to to use or to help, to kind of help them and reduce the damage that way. So maybe there's, there's NPCs that can help out, there's more healing, there's some boons that we can find or whatever. And so we're not going to find a way, we're not going to look at and trying to make this an even playing field, balancing or whatever, because we're still wanting to fight that, that Hellion. 
but because we've increased the challenge and the damage potential so high with our Hellion in different areas, we should also be looking for those ways to decrease um, the challenge and the damage in other ways so that the focus can be on the Hellion, we can be justified in what we're doing, and we can go from, from there. But that's that's kind of the, the idea. So when it comes to damage, it's this consideration of different levers that really gives us the opportunity to be really efficient and really effective with tuning our challenges with damage so that it's not just, hey, I want to do more damage uh, to my players because they're wiping the floor with me. I'm going to jump to ultimate or I'm going to make it 3d12 or 3d6. Like, There's more to consider and there's more levers that we can pull on. And as we increase one, we should be considering how to decrease others so that we can uh, work out and have that reasonable tuning um, experience rather than just going so overboard that it becomes overwhelming or unreasonable. But what do you think? I'd love to hear from you guys. Otherwise, uh, we can chat on the Discord or um, from there, you may be busy at work. So I'll give you guys a second if anybody wants to come up to the stage and make comments or you can drop them in the chat. And if we're all good to go, we'll wrap up our workshop and look forward to the next one. Hey Chris, welcome to the stage. You're still muted if that's uh, anything. There we go. Am I coming yeah. in now? Yeah, you are. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Good morning. Uh, I, this is a great workshop. I appreciate you having it. There were three quick notes that occurred to me that I just wanted to run down. And the first uh, dovetails onto exactly the last uh, point that you were making about having all of these different levers and nuances to make. Uh, and it really, the this uh, last workshop you had before this regarding being a terror to behold, I think that's this thing that uh, we still stick to really fervently as GMs uh, and I think this question of the damage lever is an important one uh, that directly relates to it. If your players are having a success uh, and the encounter is going easier for them than you had planned, I think it's always important to ask yourself whether your adjustments on the fly for damage or hit points or anything else are really warranted and, and what your motive is behind that because it can actually flatten the game experience rather than spice it up as you might be intending when you increase your damage. You know, sometimes your players are gonna learn, are gonna, are gonna earn that encounter, that easy encounter, because they were being clever. They did the right things, uh, and, they, and they shouldn't be punished for it on the fly. At other times, they're gonna just get lucky. You know, they get those high rolls, they get those nat 20s. It's a part of the game to let them feel that. Those randomized yeah. elements that are in your role-playing games are there for a reason. They provide that surprise, they provide drama, uh, and GMs shouldn't rob players of that feeling of being lucky, which is part of the game, as their default strategy to maintain their challenge levels. So I think there's always another encounter 
And you can always say, okay, they did that. But next time they try to do that, I have something planned for them. You can apply what you learned as a GM uh, on that next turn, you know, that next wave. I think it usually provides a more authentic feel for your players uh, if you have restraint for what you use to adjust on the fly. Yeah, I agree on that one. Uh, in in regard to the one simple mathematical point you alluded to earlier, uh, the idea of central tendency is the is the the statistical term we use a lot. The idea that as you uh, add dice to a pool for a roll, the average value for that total of that roll becomes more and more likely as the outcome that actually occurs. That is, one die has a given average value. But any result on that die, if it's a d20 from 1 to 20, is equally likely, 5%. Uh, But when you have two dice, and you double the average value, but the extreme results, you know, two ones or two twenties, or other things that are often the tails of that so-called bell curve, are going to be less likely. As you add three dice, four dice, more dice, uh, are even more likely to be have to have a total that's close to the average, but your extreme values become vanishingly small. Uh, so if you are throwing that, you know, uh, quadruple ultimate fire keg or that that five dice fireball or something like that, the vast majority of the time, that central average value or something very close to it is what's going to come up, and it is extremely unlikely, although statistically possible that you're going to get, you know, four twelves or four ones. But as you add dice to a pool, even if they're small dice, that average value. So if you have eight goblins attacking with daggers that do weapon damage, that total average value is probably what the result of those attacks are going to be if they're successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about it like, it's something to keep in mind. I know for me, it's like I jump to ultimate often because it's like it sounds like oh that's the way to get a bigger a bigger like hit on the few times that I do hit. But in the reality, I would be better off doing two d four or three you know three d four two d six than just rolling a one d twelve with a big bonus like absolutely can, to maximize to maximize that effect. You're right. Yeah, without You're going right. overboard. Because I don't have to roll, I don't have to roll one d twelve plus eight to try to mitigate that potential. Well, just give them a plus two bonus and just have them roll three d four, two d four, and I'll probably be fine. Exactly. That's so, I, I, my favorite saying is always is like fear the horde of forty cobalts with slings, because mm-hmm. <laughs> that that can really make or break. Yeah, you you you. It's a different way to still provide that uh that's that variation that gives you drama and tension and surprise but it uh gives you some clue as to what your more likely outcomes are going to be you're absolutely right yeah my my third and final point was uh just uh to put out there as an idea for folks the idea of within the lever that you control as a gm of damage uh unusual damage versus inflated damage 
and I, I would invite GMs to consider getting creative with the type and the quality of damage that they want to deal instead of simply blowing up the number of hit points uh, of damage that you inflict. So one example is uh, damage that does not heal by normal means. You might have a poison blade that deals D6 weapon damage, but those hit points don't heal with recovery rolls. Maybe you need to have a healing potion to heal them or some healing magic to heal them. You could have an incorporeal undead that deals D10 magic damage on a strike, but those hit points do not heal unless that particular ghost is destroyed or unless the wounded PC can bathe in the waters of some sacred spring, for example, you know. Uh, the long-term effects of minor tweaks like that can be very significant in the game, and you can use your creativity as a GM to heighten the feeling of dread that your damage brings to the table, rather than just trying to overwhelm players with the extreme amounts of a more typical hit point loss. Yeah, absolutely. The, the advice that I've gotten, and uh, I've gotten it multiple times from JD, is that it's not always about just making a, a tank and spank of a battle of sacks of hit points. Like, don't don't make your battles, your combat, whatever, a question of who has who has more hit points in their bucket. Like, make it make it unusual, make it variety, make it there so that it can be a question of it's not a question of who's gonna who's gonna run out of HP first. It's what are the challenges? What are the moral dilemmas? What are the questions? The the uh, the things that are gonna happen? Like you're saying, like oh, I I just lost five hit points to this ghost. The question is, oh crap, how do I get rid of the ghost? Like yeah, it becomes a more interesting experience than just sacks of hit points. Absolutely, and there there's so many ways to do that, and so many tools for us as game masters to begin to think not only just about, you know, our own survival, the players thinking about their own survival, but that they'll survive, they'll get through that fight, but at these costs, at these costs to themselves and at the cost to the mission, to the quest and to others. Uh, yeah, I, that's what really can enrich the, the game and the table experience. Perfect, yeah. I agree. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. No problem. Any other thoughts, Chris? That That's it for me. All right. Okay. Well, we're going to uh, wrap up. We're out, about out of time. I'll clean up this stinky sheet and drop it in the in the kiln, and hopefully we can have some more uh, excellent conversation in the kiln. The kiln has been on fire as of late. Lots of stuff going on. The Roland Forge effort um, has been great. We've seen a lot of projects moving forward. So definitely looking forward to all what the kiln is working on. But for uh, for now, we're uh, all out of time. We'll close up and look forward to the next workshop, which we'll be talking again in depth on another variation of challenge tuning, which is specifically disruption. And I think this is one of my favorite variations of uh, challenge tuning. It's definitely one that I understand a lot more than damage. I, I, there's a lot to learn when it comes to damage. You would think, as we've learned, that it would be straightforward, but it's not. So look forward to that. We'll look forward to that. And again, happy Halloween for all those celebrating and look forward to the end of the fall season and winter. Uh, but thanks, everybody. We'll chat later. <laughs>